You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. I I feel like taking an offering right now. (laughs) Hey, let me just introduce myself. My my brother here is going to introduce himself. Uh, I'm Scott Hornsby. Uh, I transitioned our church five years ago, and my son took the church, and... uh, so everything's doing well. So that's my story in a nutshell, right quick. And we'll just, I'll give you some details as we go along. For the I'm uh, Marty Sloan, and I'm in Fort Smith, Arkansas, Harvest Time Church. And um, I'm a succeeding pastor, so it was transitioned to me uh, 10 years ago. I was on staff for five years, and we transitioned. And so I've been lead pastor for 10 years now. And uh, we got folks in the church, money in the bank. Baptism's happening and life is good. So awesome. church doing well, very well. Awesome. I, I got to meet Marty and just to hear his story and how incredible it is. He's been able to do what he's done and uh, and you have the success behind him. And so I, I just admire your story, brother, and what you told me uh, the last couple of days. You know, I pastored, uh, uh, I'll just go ahead and introduce what I did and then Pastor Marty's going to take it from his experience and what he did, if that's okay, we decide to do it this way. Um, I pastored for 33 years, and then I think it's really important in a transition that I think God, the Holy Spirit, has to begin with you as a person. In other words, you know, you've got to know there's got to come an end to when it's over for as your grace to pastor or be a senior pastor. Because I never realized the grace that was on my life until I felt the grace being lifted on that anointing to do that particular job. And so with that, uh, my second oldest son, his name is Star, we began to um, really come up with a plan. And really it was my responsibility to make this plan work. And it wasn't just a plan. It's got to be the right plan. And so, and I'll tell you this about transitioning. You almost have to do that one perfect. And there's a lot of things we can do and hit and miss, but this one is very important because uh, the church knew me as a senior pastor for 33 years, and my personality and who who I am and how I'm like, and, you know, so, and then my son's coming up, and uh, I notice and see the anointing that's on him. At the very beginning, uh, his name is Star. I said, uh, Star, uh, we never, I never told Star he was daddy's little preacher and he was going to be the pastor. I never said that. I wanted the Holy Spirit to tell him that. And so uh, as Star began to develop and uh, I could see the anointing on his life, uh, first thing he told me that he wanted to go plant a church somewhere else. And I thought to myself, dear Lord, he don't want to do that. And then the second thing, he wanted to be a missionary in Costa Rica. And I said, oh, my, man. I said, said, God, you're going to have to do something here because I was getting ready. And this is the way I would start feeling. I love the church. I love pastoring. Love the people. And uh, but I could sense, like I said, I was done. And when you're done... When you feel that grace leave, then you know the Holy Spirit is doing something. Then when my son star finally uh, came to the 
realization that God had called him to take our church. Uh, because, you know, transition is inevitable. It's going to happen. And uh, so either it happen with a, your own son or a son in the house. And uh, I found out just talking to people that many, or maybe it's not most, but maybe most transitions uh, are really not that successful. And there's reasons that they're not successful. But I really prayed about it, and this is what I did. The first thing, the plan. You need a great plan, the right plan, and how exactly we were going to do it. And uh, when I wanted to hand the baton off to him, the mantle was going to be on his life. And this is where the Holy Spirit really comes in to a transitioning situation. That, that anointing has got to be there as you walk through these things. And so, uh, first thing, I talked to some friends of mine that had already transitioned their church. So I got counseling from some friends. How did you do it? What did you do? And some of the things I could use that they did, but specifically for me, I had to do it my way, but I did learn a lot of things from people and got the right counseling when we began to do what we were going to do. So, uh, and I think the key word in that is the counsel that you do get. Uh, and I think you have to do it in the context of your own church, what your church is like and the flow of your own church. We were basically at the beginning of our ministry, really charismatic and all those kinds of things. Back, we bo- I was born again in the 70s and filled with the Holy Spirit in the 70s, and we were a charismatic, uh, Pentecostal-type church in those days. And so uh, as we developed the spirit-filled, life-giving church, uh, really, they were talking about there weren't many models. There were no models when I did it. And I would spend 30 hours on 30 minutes to really try to get into that flow. So the context of what our church was like is a spirit-filled, and it's life-giving. And I could go through the whole transitional part, what I did when we transitioned to church. But the most important thing is when I transitioned my own church. And the first, I thought, you got to choose the right successor, the right person. And if my son's star wouldn't have been the right person, then I couldn't have chose them. And those are the things of the working of the Holy Spirit. And I think it needs to be a Holy Spirit thing. I know it does throughout the whole transitioning period. So I chose the right uh, successor, and I knew that my son's star would do that. And so once I chose him, or he chose to be in the ministry, I started getting him involved, not just like picking up trash, because my son had been with me 18 years. And he had been a kids pastor, a youth pastor, an associate pastor. He worked on the worship team. He had the whole nine yards behind him to do this. Tremendous wife and a great family. And so... uh we began to transition, so I put him in a high-capacity role, not just someone that that was my son or whatever. Uh, so it started out uh, him beginning to preach more regularly, more, or to say it like this, him more, me less. And then we split the pulpit 50-50, and we went through a transition for about a year and a half, maybe two years, but it was a couple of years. And uh, we start, I start bringing Star on as the man up in the front. No, no announcements were made about that, nothing like that. 
He just started taking the role in a high-capacity leadership position. And then I began to let him start having his own vision and kind of not just being opposite of my vision, but casting a vision about his own life. And I made him head of the staff. And so uh, when it was time for a staff member to give get a raise, he gave the raise. And I would miss staff meetings on purpose and let him do the staff meetings. And then uh, the church government, I began to allow him to start thinking about the, what are the things you need to change. And the people whom I had hired, I told my son, if you don't want to keep these guys, you can let them all go and hire your own people. And that was a pretty big step, which you only let one person go at that time. And so uh, then I made him the campus pastor. He gave the raises to the staff and all those kinds of things. Um, I think that your successor, and this is where I think I could help, and I guided him in a certain area. He needs a clear direction for himself and keeping something that he's got something in his heart and a clear direction, not just for himself, but also his wife. And so uh, his wife should be happy about it. And we made sure there were no extra pressure on Starr's wife, Christy, because the enemy would have loved to put a lot of pressure on her. And at that particular time, I had taken my wife out of position and we were cutting her job back. And her job, really, she wasn't a preacher. When Chris, who is my nephew, uh, he married my niece, said she don't want to speak. My wife did not want to speak from the pulpit. If I told her I wanted to speak, she'd get real nervous. And so she just loved the people. She had a small group. She's an artist, and she would do those kind of things. But a great first lady of the church, a very loving person. So that was the way that Christy was. Uh, And I think you need to understand that uh, as the lead pastor, and as you begin to progress to turning that over to them, Boy, and the plan begins to work. And then I would allow Star at times to have a whole series. I wouldn't even preach the series. And little by little, I decreased, he increased. So when the time came, it was going to be an easy move for him to go ahead and step into the pulpit. Um, Let me tell you when you know it's over. I just had this thought. I was in the grocery store about a month ago or so. My whole life has been for 30-something years, Pastor Scott. Hey, Pastor Scott, in our community and everywhere. Well, I was in the grocery store the other day. A guy that was a vendor selling things to that store looked at me and said, aren't you Pastor Star's daddy? So, baby, the gig was up. It was over. And so I said, yeah, I'm his daddy. And so... uh, that is so important that that happened. Right after Star took the church, somebody walked up to me and said, hey, pastor, about something that needed to be done in the church. And I said, uh, you see that young man right over there? And uh, you need to tell him that because I have no authority anymore. This was after we did our transition. Uh, I think you need to pick a date and prepare your church for that date. And you know what? I had to let them know. I, when, I, when we did announce what was going to happen, I told him I wasn't sick, 
I wasn't in sin. I wasn't leaving. I was going to be the greatest cheerleader for my new, my new pastor uh, of any, anybody in the church. Sit, I sit on the front row. Now, I, I travel a lot now, but when I first when he first took the church, uh, I, I, I was gone for about three months in and out a lot. So it was easy for them to adapt for uh, as star as senior pastor. And so uh, the congregation needs to see a powerful and spiritual change. They need to see that that happen. Really, it helps the church and it gives great confidence to the new pastor. So if I bragged on him, and let's say that I would speak, and by the way, I haven't been in five years, maybe five staff meetings. Now, some people do it different. I realize that. But for me, I knew what I needed to do. I, don't, I didn't need to be at those meetings. I needed to let my son take the ball and run with it. And so uh, I wanted to build a confidence in my son that as a new pastor, not only would he have the confidence, but people would have confidence in him. And so uh, we had this huge transition service where we actually had an overseer come in and he preached that message because I had preached the Sunday before and I preached the message and I have the message here of what I did in the transition of star. And I went through and I, what I did, I told our church, I checked with our overseers. I talked to the leaders of our church. I talked with my family because that was an important thing. I have another son and a daughter and all my grandkids and everybody, to let them know what was going on. And so uh, it just gave our church more ease and comfortable about the transition that took place. This is what got to, this has to be known. It's going to take a new pastor three to five years to really understand and come into his, his stride. And at the beginning, uh, He's he, what he is, the preacher he is today is no comparison to what he was when he first started. He is so good at what he does. It, it really is amazing to me. Uh, when it happens, it's able to lead the church back. He is able to lead the church in a real powerful way. And so what we did was uh, on the transition service, and there's a lot, a lot of things that we did do, but we had this service, and I, I told them exactly what was going on, that God had called me. It was time for me to step down. Uh, I was 66 then. I wish my son would have taken it when I was like 62, at the latest 64. But timing is everything with God, and he took it at, when I was 66, and I was really glad to give it to him. But when I laid hands on him on the transition service that night, what we did was we had all our overseers in and we invited pastors from all over our city of Baton Rouge area. And we had a ton of pastors there just to okay that transition of service. And we had us a shown of Cajun meal afterwards. In other words, it wasn't a funeral. It was a celebration because some people could make it out to be a funeral because poor brother Scott, Scott, Scott's leaving. It wasn't that at all, man. Brother Scott was ready to go, 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 you know. But let me tell you what happened in the spirit. When I laid my hands on my son, I sensed that anointing 
that grace, that mantle as a senior pastor, leave me. And I'm, I, it was like, it was one of the most amazing feelings in my life. And when we laid hands on him, uh, there was a word of prophecy spoke over my son by one of the overseers, Pastor Larry Stocksteel. If I, I don't know if you know Pastor Larry. He, he did the service for us that night, and we've been friends forever, and he knows my family and very, very well. Brother Roy, his daddy, was my pastor. And, boy, we celebrated, man. And the next Sunday was Easter Sunday. And I wanted Star to preach to the largest crowd in the history of our church. Not just give him, you know, one a Wednesday night and do it. But, man, he had the largest crowd we'd ever had, and he started his ministry right there. When I walked out of the, the church, I'm going to tell you something. I was happy. I was, I, I was happy because it was my son that did it. I was happy because I didn't have to do it anymore. And uh, I was happy because the church was happy. Everything worked perfect, and we just flowed. And it, it had now, my son's been behind the pulpit as senior pastor five years, and uh, he's doubled the church. Uh, and I will say this, uh, we lost two of our top tithers uh, when uh, he took over because they weren't committed to him, me. Him, they were not committed to him. They were committed to me. And it wasn't long, and these were big tithers. And so he had to deal with things like money, staff, and being, running a church. And you know it's a challenge. And at one time, I got really worried about him because I could see the stress upon him. And I woke up on a Monday morning. This has been a couple, three years ago. And the Holy Spirit told me, don't worry about him. I have him. If he doesn't go through what I'm allowing him to go through, he will never become the man of God that I have for him. I have never worried since. And since then, we have recouped that money that those two hundred thousand dollars each tithers left and the money's better than it's ever been we're getting ready to build a new auditorium because the church has grown so fast and he's done such an and really uh just an extremely good preacher i enjoy his preaching i take notes uh when he's preaching and he lets me preach um four or five times a year (laughs) sometimes he'll call me and say dad can you preach sunday I said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. Now wait, I, you know, you, you know what that means. We got to go study. But I got enough messages up those stairs in my house. I'll go fish something out, and I'm gonna close with this one thought. I have these stairs in my bedroom, and that's where my study was. And you know the time you have to put in studying. And uh, when I got home from the transition server, those stairs says, "Come up hither," and I said. Uh-uh. I don't have to come up hither. I'm not doing another series. I'm not going to talk about marriage. I'm not going to talk about love and all that kind of stuff. It is over. And uh, But I tell you what, the relief, and I'm if I'm not at church, I'm preaching somewhere else. But I am there. At all, all, I go to the first service, sit on the front row, I greet, I'm the best greeter in the church, in the lobby, and when the second service comes, I get in my car and go home. And so, uh, that's the story. <laughs> Brother? Um, 
So my perspective is of a successor's role, and so he and I will have some different points of view. Mm-hmm. And kind of like describing the Grand Canyon, it's the same big hole, but depending on where you're sitting, it may look very different. And so also he is a father-son transition. I was not that. And so every transition is very different. Um, when you have father-sons, it has a whole different dynamic. Uh, when you don't have that, it's another conversation. So, um, you know, transition is going to be impacted by the culture you're in. And most True. people, I was talking with uh, a man who, if I named him, you would know him immediately. He uh, made his transition about two and a half years ago. And I was talking to him, and he said, well, Marty, I never started the church with the thought of how to get out of it. And so most of us don't even put into our culture transition. And most people think about transition more like an event than a culture. Let me give you an example. Um, there's a difference in raising a young girl uh, to always be your daughter versus <coughs> raising her to be someone's wife one day. That's true. And so I think you have to build transition into your mm-hmm. culture. And the reality is most people don't do that because it's not the way you think when you start a church. Um, and so without getting too far on that gap, let me do this real fast. Let me give you my cell phone number because we may not get all things covered. Let me get this real fast. My number is 479-629-2826. If you want to call me, ever text, I'm available. 479-629-2826. So, um, Archer, good. Um, Marty, M-A-R-T-Y, Sloan. And, um, so our transition was very unique because I was not succeeding my father. I actually went down to the church, served on staff for five years, and then we moved the church uh, from my predecessor to myself in what we called a baton passing experience, okay? The challenge we had was if you've ever watched a relay race, if someone passes a baton, what happens to the guy who gets the baton? He starts running, right? right? And the guy who passes it, what does he do? He stops running. Now, the challenge is most people don't do that. They just try to run at a different pace. Or they still want to run because they're called or the anointing, and this is my life, and it's firing my bones, and I quit, can't quit doing this. And while I understand that that may change for me in a few years because I'll be older too. I know the reality is this. If you ever pass off a baton, you can't keep running the race. Because what happens is the folks in the stands don't know who to cheer for. Okay? So there's a lot of thoughts on transition. Now, I can make a few recommendations based upon my experience. You've heard a lot here about some technical stuff. We did much of that too as far as preaching time and moving into leadership and staff meeting and so forth. But I have a couple of thoughts. If you're going to transition your church to somebody else, if you're the guy going out, you either have to pick up a hammer and help build or take the watch and leave. What you can't do is sit on the back row and watch. And if you're going to build, guess who now gets to instruct you? The new pastor. Uh, I was naive enough to believe, this is how dumb I was 15 years ago. I'm still dumb now in some areas. 
I was dumb enough to believe that just as I had served him, he would serve me. And that never happened. So understand that when you're that guy in that position, the, the momentum you carry, the connections you carry cannot be outpaced by the guy taking the helm. They just can't. There, there's no comparison. Um, I had a person in my church when I was a pastor just about a, probably six months in, a guy came up and said, hey, I want to have lunch with you. I knew it was going to be one of those lunches, right? And so we go to lunch, and his first thing he says, and he goes, listen, he said, you're not and then my, uh, my, my predecessor. And I, to which I said, what was your first clue, the 30 years or the 100 pounds? Did, did you think I was going to be him? If you did, I certainly apologize. I've never tried to be him. I can't be him. He was him. I am me. Different gifting, different calling, different anointing, different function, different purpose. You know, Moses and Joshua, one brought them out, one took them in, which was necessary, both of them. Okay? And I think the hard part is people can't process that. So from our experience, from my journey, um, I've got a lot of thoughts even on how you make the transition announcement. i got a pastor friend of mine who he, he, he ran the entire church for 10 years, preached 80% of the time. Okay, His dad was the pastor. Everything's fine. No big to do. But the moment they announced we're going to transition, people start leaving the church. He's been doing. He's been pastoring for ten years, people. And he said to me on the phone. He said, "He said it's almost like we've been better off to have never announced it." And I just thought about that from the angle of we give people exit ramps when you make statements. Now, clarity is important. Leadership's vital. Clarity is very important in church leadership. I get that, but we got to be careful about the conversation. What are we trying to achieve here? <clears throat> is it about the church continuing, about the guy coming going out? And there's a lot of thoughts anyway. So make sure you understand your church's curve and culture. If you're taking a church, um, something I'd recommend to you, if you're the guy taking the church, be very certain about what type of church you're taking over. Uh, and, and don't deceive yourself that you can make changes too fast beyond the natural bend of the church. Um you can change it over time with new DNA coming in, but you can't you can't change the DNA to add life. You change DNA by adding life. Okay, you can't change it by the existing body, and I think that's an important dynamic because every church has a bend. It has a bend in its worship, a bend in its preaching style, a, a bend in its in its outreach. Every church has a cultural bend. So I would encourage anybody taking a church to know the bend, and I would just tell you that when you succeed a church you accept certain headaches with it. Um, and if you don't like that, just go plant the church. About year five of tra- after transition, I had a guy call me. He goes, so um, what's your thoughts on transitions? I said, well, after five years, I'm a firm advocate for church planting. Um, <laughs> just go plant. I don't know who else here. I can look at the ages and see that some of you guys are going out, some of you guys are stepping in. I can do the math on what I see around the room. I'm not dumb. I, most people have never built in their culture transition. Most have not. Now, I will tell you, I'm 45. I would like to do another transition in my lifetime. I would like to take one more church, transition over from what I've learned of the last 10 years, and I think I can do even a better job. I've learned a lot about myself and about how to transition. Um, I concur with a plan, but like the great prophet Mike Tyson said, 
everyone has a plan to get punched in the face. <laughs> I would also add to the plan, you need to have a commitment that we can always have a conversation. Especially if the guy stays in the church. If you can talk with a commitment that I may not like what's going on, I may not like how you're doing this, but I'm going to look you in the eye, I'm going to talk right to you, you're going to know everything I'm going through in my mind. If I'm feeling left out, if I'm feeling overlooked, you're going to know what I'm talking about. If we can have that commitment, that's vital. Because plans are good, but plans go awry. It's like they said about married life. Nobody gets married to have a fight, yet you have a fight. And you're like, well, I didn't get married for this. So the commitment ties you together, right? So in pastoral transition, I would just challenge you this. Make certain that the two people there, because it comes back to the two. really does. It comes back to you and your son. And if either one of you make a problem, there's a problem, Okay. But if you can commit to, we're going to always, we're going to be in covenant communication. And if I'm struggling, you're going to know it. If I have doubts, you're going to know it. Don't take the marriage talk today and put that as if that is the guide for how the two should operate. Deal with the unaddressed issues in your own hearts. Because I'll never forget this story. We were sitting there. Um, our, my my second Easter service we had, which we transitioned to me in the month of August, a terrible time to transition to church. No one's come to church in August anyway. Um, we made a lot of errors. Um, one of the dumbest things ever said from the pulpit that I said and he said was we said nothing's going to change. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were both deceived greatly because everything changes. You know, if if... If you take my head and put it on your body, and you go home, are you married? Yeah. And you go home to your wife, she's going to go, well, that ain't you. It could be your entire body. But if your head is different, it's not you. And the pastor's the head. So we we, we, we believe that stupidity, and we, we tried to sell it, and we believed it so good, but nobody else bought it. And everything changed when you chase pastor. Everything changes, okay? And you get a brace for that. But... 2011, we had a great Easter service, had baptized 200-something people live in the service, had a great altar call, phenomenal day. And I was in the foyer the next weekend, and a guy walks up to me, and I was talking to my predecessor, and he made a statement. He said, that is the best Easter service I've seen in my lifetime. He's been in this church for 30 years. And he was trying to you know, say, man, that was awesome. It was very out of the box for us as a church. And I was telling Pastor Scott this before this morning, I could tell in that conversation that that did not sit well with with the guy next to me. I have a father um, who's a pastor, and my dad's hope and prayer is that his sons exceed him. And, And my dad's always talked about that. You hope that Star well exceeds you. And I think fathers of sons are bent that way. I think if you have a guy who doesn't have a son, it's a different dynamic as to how he sees the male roles in his life. I think inside every man is a little bit of a man syndrome. I mean, you, you heard Pastor Chris today say that I go to your church and what you do is great and you do better than us, but what? But not for long, right? <laughs> That's just the man in all of us, okay? I'm, I'm going to go home and try to see if I can get my TV screen to lower down behind the stage. I'm, th- I'm thinking the whole time. I mean, while he's teaching on great stuff, I'm thinking, how can we get that thing to lower from the top of the screen? That is my, my takeaway. So anyway, um, I think we're supposed to do some Q&A. I could, we could talk all day about our stories, but if you want to, we have very different points of view on this because of, our, because of where we sit in the chair. And I think it's a great combination of different viewpoints. And 
I don't know what it's like to hand my church off to somebody. I've never done that. You do. Um, I don't know what it's like to take take your life's work and say, here, I think I'm done now. You take over. I like it to this because I'm, I'm, I'm nervous personally about people staying in the church post-transition unless it's parents, you know, father-son dynamics. Because I like it to this, um, I like it to marrying somebody's daughter and then living in the house with them while you try to be married to her. And, and nobody here would do that. You, that's just stupidity. Now, there may be a few months you have to for whatever purpose for life, but you would do that as a plan, right? And I think that's really what you're trying to do is take someone's life, their effort, and now you're going to take it over, and they're going to sit right there and watch you do it. It's just it doesn't work very well. Uh, last thing I'll tell you is everybody that we talk to, and I know you probably had the same conversation, they can tell you all the pitfalls. In the back of your mind, you always think, well, we'll be the exception to that. Well, that's the sin nature, right? I'll never get caught. And guess who gets caught? You, it's the rule. There's a reason it's the rule because most folks deal with it. So please don't hear these concerns and just go, well, that won't be us. That We won't have a problem with that. You'll be shocked what you have a problem because it's never a problem until it's going. So uh, let's let's do some. I think we can do some Q and A. Let's can we do that real fast? We got twenty five minutes. Let's do some Q and A. Yes, sir. Uh, can I ask uh, on church sizes? Do you think the size of the church influences the pace of the transition? It sounded like you were your son was actively taking stuff over, becoming the real lead pastor over about a couple of years there. Mm-hmm. Did your church size indicate that? And Marty, for you, did you go through a similar period where, or was this a quicker handoff, he's leaving, you're in, or were you moving in, taking over the pulpit over a couple of years? You would go first. Yeah, you know, I don't think that was it at all. I think that that had nothing to do with it. Because he had been with me on our church staff and part of one of the ministers, so I don't think that was the problem at all. I think that uh, when this when the transition happened, I think that we had enough time, and we, the timing was really important. It was a perfect time to do it, and when my son took it, I mean, it was just like a natural flow because I want him to succeed probably a lot more than he wanted to succeed. And uh, but things are different. Like you were talking about the screen that comes down. Yeah. That screen would drive me crazy. I would run into it. I would hit it, knock it down. I'd tear it up before the first sermon. I said, man, just give me my note. Give me my book and my outline. I'm a good. But now but I understand that. Yeah. But no, I don't believe. I, I think it just was a natural good flow for us. I think, I think where size affects is communication chains and how we communicate. Um, I think the bigger the church, the more we're going to be purposeful <clears throat> making the communication relational, not just um, organizational. And um, I know one large church that, I mean, several, several thousand, they did series of months of small <clears throat> gatherings of like 100 people on campus uh, <clears throat> to where they just sat and shared the story with people and let them talk to the outgoing guy and the incoming guy. Uh, I was five years on staff as the associate pastor, and I was um, I ran the staff for four years. Basically, after about a year, I took over the staff. We did the preaching ratios. That stuff's all good. I'm not sure it makes a huge, huge difference. Um, I think that I think in our mind we're trying to deal with how do we do this and not affect anybody. When the truth is, you just got to face it's going to affect everybody. 
And so almost deal with it from that perspective versus, hey, make sure no one knows what just happened here. I think the reality is, and I took over a plateaued church, I would call it plateaued, but plateaued's comfortable for church people in particular. Um, I think that most people transition too late, not too early. And so the age gap was noticeable. We went from 65 to 35. That's big. Um, that's, a, that's a big gap. I think that's almost too big because it makes the differences obvious from day one. And, and stuff that was viewed as a major change, I wasn't trying to change. I'm just a different person. I can't, I, I don't do that. You know, so I don't, I can't act 65, I'm 35, and nothing wrong with 65, I'm closer than I was 10 years ago. But I think that, I think you have to embrace that it's a change. I think the size affects communication vibe and, and how we, how we share the story. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, the, I was, the reason I brought up size is in the old days, and you may have figured out I'm the guy going out, I'm going to start tomorrow. Uh, the, in the old days, Someone would resign. Right. And the new pastor would start. Right. Okay. But it, it's but with both of yours, there was an extended period of staff time. Yeah. If a person isn't pulling the guy from his staff, and he's going to have to go outside, mm-hmm. are is that a quick handoff? Is that a bring him in as a teaching pastor? I was the outsider brought in. I wasn't in the church. Okay. I'm sorry. I was. I misunderstood. Yeah. I was. I was brought in. Outside, I'm from Ohio. I'm a Buckeye. Go Bucks! Um, Go uh, Tigers! Go Tigers! So I was brought in from the outside, served five years. The shock to me was people that loved me as associate. That the moment I became pastor took off. I think there's just a reality. So I, I mean, I can't. Various books tell you to brace for loss, brace for attrition. That's why you should have the debt paid off. That's why you should have the people well-conditioned. Um, I inherited several million in debt, and the folks they built the debt for, they were leaving. So I had to overcome the debt. Um, I, I had to do what his Sunday, which was replace the lost tithers. Uh, we've lost, we lost 500 people probably in the last 10 years, but what we're, th- we're three times bigger than we, when I took over the church, so we've grown three times after losing 500 people. So you could, it's going to grow. Uh, but I, I affirm what he said. That is this, if you're going to stay in the church as a, as a uh, predecessor, you've got to be the champion of everything. And you cannot allow yourself at any point to get in a place of listen to criticism, listening to people who aren't happy. You're, you're killing it. You're, you're taking the legs up. And I'm not saying it's, that it's not correct, but it's, you've got to go to him and get it worked out with him directly. You can't become a voice for people. So, um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, anybody else questions? Yeah. I have one probably taps on for what you were just saying, but what you also said during yours was you said um, you wish you transitioned four years earlier. You said you're 66. You said you wish was like 62 or something. Could you expand a little more on like why, why what you meant by that and possibly why? Well, I thought that uh, that my son was developed to the place where he could have taken that church then. But uh, I felt like 62 was a good age for me. I just thought I just thought about the age of 62. I said that would be a great year, a great time for him to take the church. But I had to wait until he was ready, until God developed him, because I really believe that timing is everything with the Lord. Yeah. And I'll tell you one thing about my son. 
until he became senior pastor, he, if I had an idea and down in his heart, he necessarily didn't agree with my idea, we would do it my way. He would never say, Daddy, that one. No, he never. Because, and now he's reaping uh, because he submitted himself to what I was thinking. It's like I told him the other day, there's a song we used to do back in the day. It's kind of like Bayou Boogie Gospel. And I told him, I said, man, we ought to do that song at church. He said, no, Daddy, we're not doing that song. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. <laughs> it's, I mean, what you said was so good. When you hand that baton on, I have a little note right here in here when it's over for you it's over i mean really you got to it's like you got to be so proud of what he did my pastor pastor roy Soxhill, handed to brother larry Soxhill, who handed it to jonathan and some other friends of mine and uh, uh it just it was the timing was everything so the lord just let that work out and work some things for me with art now that i work with art and let me give you my number also i would love to talk to you further it's 225-405-5931. You had a question for me? Oh, no, sorry. It was, like, unless no. you had something on that, but you you had briefly already mentioned it, some age stuff. Question? Yes, yeah, so you said about 500 people left over yeah. in the next few years. So how much time did you spend talking to those types of people, or did you just say, you know, I'm just going to stick with these and we're running by too, too much. Yeah. Um, you know, Greg Scott, Greg Scott, Greg Surratt said uh, best, he said, whether the church is small or great, you hate when people walk out. Yep. You take it deeply personal because they were here for 30 years until you showed up, so now you're the obvious problem. You know, that's how I would look at it. Um I spent too much time because my belief was I could convince him to come back when the truth is I only made myself feel worse about their departure. And my focus should have been on building the church. And if people want to walk, they're going to walk. I, 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 you know, there's always a, there's always an exception, but as a categorical rule, when people leave my church, I assume they've made their decision. And and I respect that decision. And there's always a there's always a, uh, a, a a unique situation. I'm not saying you can't ever reach anybody, but by but by and large, when people have left your church, they've made their decision. There's always some ones or twos that you know the reason why, and you make them make amends and bring them back. And yes, please do reach out. Certainly, shepherd people. But I, I think when you set yourself up with the whole pack and talk them back in, you're taking what really is God's role. And taking it on yourself. Yeah. Question back there. Did you change much of the staff? Or was it pretty much the same? So we screwed up on that. We should have fired half the staff before I took over. Um, I didn't know to do that. He, um, I had to make some changes that he just did not want to make. We, we had, uh, you know, we had some people that, Pastor Greg said a great, some people are cinder blocks, some people are scaffolding. Yeah. We had some scaffolding staff still in the room that had been built. And so they were not functional. And so I had to transition off a couple people who were seasoned, which means I'm paying a lot of money, severances. And we, you know, we did everybody right, but it was a weight to carry. Um, and I didn't know to ask that. I know another church now is going through transition, and the, the overseers have told the staff and the pastor get rid of everybody who needs to go before the new guy comes in. Now, that's just a different way. I'm not saying it's the right way. 
I think, from what Pastor Scott said, you got to know your church. Mm-hmm. And, and every church is different, and every place is different. So, um, example, on my staff right now is my brother. He's my teaching pastor and education pastor. My sister-in-law, she runs our school. And my other sister-in-law, she does outreach for us and works in worship department. If I was leaving my church I'm at tomorrow, if, if I was leaving, I would have all three of those with a written resignation date in hand. I would not leave my family for the next guy to deal with. I would just say, listen, if he wants to rehire, that's fine, but I need your resignation because I'm leaving. You came here to serve me. You came here because I was here, and I'm gone, and I'm not going to leave the next guy to deal with you. Now, if he wants to hire you back, that's on him. But I would have, you know, when I brought the new guy, and I'd say, hey, by the way, these three here are gone, and here's their timelines. <laughs> you know, and I, I would set that up for him. So when you coached at all during this process? Yeah, and we, we ignore most of the coaching because God has spoken. <laughs> so we took wisdom and counsel and said, well, God spoke, who cares? There's so much good material out there. Uh, we, we, re- we read a book called Elephant in the Boardroom. Uh, Vanderbloom has a good book out on uh, transition. William Vanderbloom has a great book on transition. There's a lot of resource out there nowadays that wasn't out there. So I'm, you know, I'm 15 years ago, almost 10 years ago, it was kind of just starting to bud. And as you were saying back in the green room today, there's going to be a lot of churches flipped the next five, 10 years, a lot of them, because guys who launched church are just, are just aging out. Um, and I would tell anybody that, um, you know, there's a lot of factors in transition, compensation, um, you know, position, you know, notoriety, a lot of things go with pastor that we always have to deal with. So I, I would just... Um, we we thought we had a plan, and then we said, "Well, God has spoken," and so we ignore the plan. Um, and I, I, a plan we, we we had a plan, but what we didn't have was a covenant agreement to talk. And you got to have that because I'm telling you, there's things that just come up that none of us foresaw. Um, and so a plan is good. You need a plan, but a covenant to talk is good too. And then there's, like he said, counsel from guys who've done it. If, if I'm assuming you're the guy going to be passing off the baton to the younger, handsome dude to your right, um, I, you know, father, son, okay, a lot of favor there because I think, number one, mamas love their boys, okay? And I think you love your son. You can't wait to see him do better than you. I, I believe that today you're, you're cheering he will multiply what you've done. I, I hope that that's your mindset, that, that if he has a victory, you're going – you know, it makes you smarter. You picked him. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, just it, it only affirms that you are brilliant because you picked a great guy. So um, I would do what he said, which is a lot of coaching from outside guys, and then an arc and different guys can help you with that. And, but don't assume you'll be the exception. Think of it from a worst case scenario. Pilots that fly planes spend most of their time talking about if something goes wrong. Because if it goes right, who cares? It's just when it goes wrong. And so I think on transition life, it's mostly on what goes right. And then when things go wrong, we're not sure what to do. And how do we have that tough conversation when something's said wrong or done wrong or this or that? So, You know, one of my pastor friends at transition, he has a big, beautiful office with his deer mounts all in it and all of his old stuff that he had collected. I went to see him. He was getting ready to transition. His name is Richard. I said, uh, Richard? You're gonna to have to move out of this office," he said. "Well, his son Greg was taking church. He said he didn't. He didn't want it. 
I said, I'm going to tell you, he's going to want this office. Because they had a conference table in there. And so about two weeks later, his son told him, I want the office. And so his daddy now is way back in the back somewhere. <laughs> For us, I don't even have an office at our church. I went to the church one day, and there was a box there with all my stuff in it. <laughs> and I got one of the young people, go put that in my truck. <laughs> I wasn't offended. Yeah. Brother Roy Stocksdale said about people leaving, he said he hated to see some people leave, and he hated for some people to stay. That's right. <laughs> my, it's kind of like a bus. They get on, they get off, you know. My dad transitioned <clears throat> three years ago, and a year before the transition, he unpacked his office. He spent the last year with no office on campus. My guy kept an office at the church for seven years after the transition. Oh. <laughs> I got you, man. I don't recommend that. And, and, and I think when you're the successor, you're going in very excited, overwhelmed by what God's done and humbled. You don't think about things like you would later in life. And so, and you can't ask a guy to leave his office. I mean, you're not going to win that. You, you, you do that, and, and you just became very unfavorable. In people's eyes, because they don't understand. But I would just tell anybody here, if you're going to transition out, you need to leave and be invited back. Don't stay and wish they and make them wish you'd walked out. Be invited back. Get far enough that the invitation is meaningful. Yeah. Have you seen that successfully done outside, of, like without a father son? Me or yes, me. I'm asking you. Yeah. So yeah. the guy who spoke here last year for this, uh, Waylon Sears. Uh, he did a he did a non family transition. He did the app session last mm-hmm. year. I was in it, and they have had a great relationship. It's a church in Phoenix area, from what I understand. Now everything could change, so maybe change since last year. But um, they have a lot of open dialogue about the pains of transition. I think that's very healthy to sit and talk about. You know, what's it feel like to be where you're at? I think the hard part is is that what you have is you have also life contentions. Most people transition when life is getting older, more difficult, your vibrancy is down, your life has changed, you're done with your own issues, your own vitality, do I matter, all this stuff in your head, and then someone else takes your church, and it just sends, it just, there's a lot of negative on that person. The other guy is just happy to be there, and he can't, he's gung-ho and doesn't realize he can be offensive, he can be uh, not aware of your own, your own emotions, and so... I think it's very hard. Um, there's always a place for people. You know, my father is 70 this year, and um, he's still my dad. We don't talk every day. We do talk often. He'll always be my dad. But he's not like he was to me, um, you know, 40 years ago or 30 years ago. He's not bossing me around. He's not changing my diapers. He's I don't think he ever did that. He's met generation dads. Um, you know, he's just, he's, you know, but he's always my dad. So um, my predecessor will always be the guy that picked me, and I'll be grateful for my eternal life to that guy for choosing me. Uh, so always there. Yeah. Um, have you seen the lead pastor take an executive role, father, son? Um, yeah. To yeah. Uh, that could be successful because. Yeah. Even a lead pastor that's also been a great second man uh-huh. in other ministries. Yeah. And 
I, I, I know two stories. I know one story uh, where the guy took an executive role, then then slipped down to more of a pastoral care role. I know another guy, young pastor friend of mine. We're about the same age. His dad um, built a great church in um, uh, in um, Mississippi area, which if that's even possible, Mississippi. Um, so he his dad is the guy that he's like a you know he just shakes hands. And he's the shake hand pastor. And one day my buddy was saying to his dad, Dad, do you feel okay, okay about this? He goes, I'm having the time of my life. He said, I get to love on people. You're carrying all the financial stress. I get to pray <laughs> with people. You're the one worried about everything. And I'm loving every minute of it. So it depends on the person. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just tell you that. Yeah, back there. Oh, sorry. Oh, don't, don't yawn, man. Raise your hand back there. No, raise my hand. I was just wanting you to finish. Oh. Well, yeah, I question. This, I want to say this before you go on. The thing we're looking forward to is tormenting him as much as he tormented us. Sure, as you should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> question in the back here. Sorry, question back here in the back. Um, what do you do when you are a successor to co-pastors? Because for me, it's our parents co-pastor together, and I feel like there's a couple different dynamics. It's not just like one person saying them, but like, well, that's a great question. Not only that, but like, so my dynamic, I had a pastor's wife who was very involved with the church, but had no position. Right. So I think one of the things you got to figure out is how many folks we transitioning. You're one or two. Right. Because you're only one. Right. And if there's two involved, you're kind of already outnumbered. Right. And plus the one's your mother. And good luck with that conversation. So I think I, I, I'm, I'm cheering for you. I'm on your side. You go back yeah, and tell your mama how it's going to be. <laughs> your mama's going to get you a switch. <laughs> back, back of the room. I just wanted to see if I could just open it up to you guys to kind of launch some wisdom. But uh, Arlene Pastor walked into our executive team meeting about three weeks ago and let us know that he's accepted a new assignment. And uh, our uh, governance and stuff and our elder board has uh, chosen me to be that successor. And so, oh, congratulations. Thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> you think. So, I mean, we're, we're a really healthy church. We've, uh, we've grown a lot in the last seven years. And I just, the installments on the 13th and he's gone. We're like in a funeral and a, a baby being born phase where... I mean, our spiritual dad's leaving. Yeah. He's, he's our executive pastor. So, uh, Why does he stand so far away from you? He don't like we're you. We're figuring stuff out. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're just both in a little bit of stress balls. But I would just love if you guys just had any wisdom from that moment. Well, you, you, heard, you heard what he said today. Don't If you don't have authority and responsibility that stress, so just back off what you can't control and what you can't control. Um, I would tell you that if he's leaving, that's going to help. Really? I would avoid any funeral talk because the church hasn't died. The, the part that we got to get our mind around is that this is about the church, not about me or him. And I'll also tell you, like, if, if I left my church tomorrow, again, I've, I want to do one more in my lifetime. We've made all the changes as a team. The vision's already set. Whoever steps in from the team, just steady the ship. No, no need to make any name for yourself. Just keep building what tree that's already right, and you'll have a fine name. So don't come in and go, this is my moment. I don't want that. Just stay, steady the ship. Preaching series, continue. 
I, I'm not a fan of, and I don't. I'm not. I'm not arguing against my my senior leader's position on transition services. I'm not a fan of that. When I leave my church, there won't be any kind of transition service. There'll be a clarity of leadership, and that's it. And I'm I'm slipping out um, because I think the I, I be careful about giving people the exit ramp. Okay, now you got to have clarity, but if you've got the same team. The same key people just continue the vision and mission without any big to do about it. Um, and again, my personal story of my pastor buddy that said, "Man, the moment they said my dad's retiring, people started falling out the bus." And he'd been running the church for ten years, <laughs> doing everything. But I, I would, I would affirm you. Hey, congratulations, man! It's a wonderful honor to be a pastor of a church. Great calling. I'd, I'd embrace it and I'd move on. Yeah, and, and you know, it just. Just stay cool, man. You know what I'm talking about? You got about? it. You just, just get in the flow and never talk about the senior pastor that had left. Absolutely. You know, just keep your nose to the grindstone. Keep preaching. There's going to be a new anointing. It's probably already on your life now. And God's going to raise you up to that position. And so uh, they're going to be, I think, probably more grace on your life now because all of a sudden you got it, you know. And so, uh, Yeah. And far as like, I would say hiring and letting staff go, we only let one staff person go, and we let him kind of make that decision on what his vision was. And then my son made the greatest hire he could ever hire for himself, a young, energetic, brilliant young man that has come in and has added so much to my son's star, our church. And then this is my grandson, who's my son's star son, who is working in the ministry, just finished Bible college. He works for the church now. And so, but far as you, man, you know, you got it now. Just, I would just see my vision and I would just go for it. Just keep doing what you're doing, man. Don't worry about it. You, you, you may have a challenge with people who've worked as peers with you. Now you're in an upper role. That may be hard. You can't have multiple heads. You got to have one clear leader. And when you've been in a role where there's a clear leader and we were all equals, now you're the head and I used to be your equal. Now, does, how does that work? Because that was a challenge for me coming from the associate pastor role to the senior pastor role with the same staff. I dealt with that day one because people had access to me. They, they, they view me differently. And I had to work through that dynamic of coming to the senior role in some of their minds. And they were good people. It just the dynamics of staffing and how interactions work with staffers. So... That, that, that could be a challenge for you. As you how, dealt with it day one. What did that look like? Just I, I just brought a gun to work. <laughs> uh, no, I I don't think I was aware of it until I began to hit some bumps with people. And I just had to stay my ground but never assert myself to stay steady and stay firm. I, I never had to say, hey, I'm the boss here. I just had to stay committed to the plan, and I did just confidence in myself. Uh, and let them work out. It was their problem, not mine. Um, I didn't have an issue with them being on the team, and I respected their position. They just had to adjust to respecting mine at a different level. And it was only minor. It wasn't, but that, I'm just saying that could be the issue. But I would say if you got a good team, man, you just keep going. Don't, don't make any major changes. Just keep blowing and going. You know, my son, uh, talk about talking to the senior pastor after he leaves. We talk every day. And we strategize. He calls me about strategy and things like that. But we are 
close that we talk every day, and there is absolutely no problem with that. And just one thing I will take, uh, sex, uh, kind of disagree with my brother here. Fine. Just because we're older doesn't mean we can't float like a butterfly and sing like a bee. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. We're just moving up a little bit higher. <laughs> I mean, I didn't just football, go out of the church crawling, get in a wheelchair and get in my car. Man, I, never mind. <laughs> Any other questions? One right here. Just one last. Uh, so, how would you say? And I know you've kind of transitioned out to your son, but if if the successor on their end, how could they honor you? Uh, for us, our pastor left. We just yeah. stepped in about two months ago. We were there the entire time from the time the church was planted about six years ago. So. What was that? What was that? I know, obviously, against some, but how, how do you want to be honored? You know, I, I didn't even have to tell them to honor me. It's just the way, because of my position and who I was then. And I, I'm telling you, my son uses examples about my life or my preaching or thing, just about every service that we have. But they have now, I'm a pastor emeritus. They honor me as the founding pastor. I take the role, and because I took the role that way, it is so easy for our church. And now I probably do not know 80% of the people in the church. Yeah. I don't know who they are. But uh, they still come up to me and honor me. So it's, I think it's a constant thing. You always honor the person that went before you. And... Uh, because you only can't have just say the good things, you know. I think I think something I would say to success or, or success or predecessor going out, I would say that you have an opportunity to show your church you live out what you've always preached. We're always preaching attendance, serving, involvement, worship. I've taken several staffers on my team, moving around different parts of the bus. You know, I took a worship guy, a missions guy. And I told the worship guys, I said, when you come off the platform, you now have a position to really be a worship leader for the entire church from the front row. Because if you hit the front row and lose your passion for worship, then what was all that? You know, but if you're on the front row, hands held high, you're chair for the worship guy and you're singing and you're blowing and going, people go, he's a worshiper. You know, mm-hmm. so I would say to you senior pastors who are transitioning out, you have an opportunity you've never had in your lifetime. And that is let people see you live out what you've preached for decades. I'm going to be in the parking lot flagging down cars. I'm going to be opening doors. I'm going to be on the front row preach, you know, cheer for the pastor. Whatever it might be, I don't know your dynamic. But you have a window now to show people, I'm going to be in a small group. I'm going to do this. I'm a tither still. You know, <clears throat> um, you have that opportunity like, like Pastor does for his son. That is you can champion the cause of the church from a whole different point of view. And that just shows kind of really where you are as a person. And so... I would just tell you that the thing every successor craves is the affirmation and the support. And if it and if it's not there, just have an honest conversation and then move along. Okay, I mean, just be be upfront about it. I think it was said today about um, Pastor Greg said, you know, in his talk about having the tough conversation, just have it behind closed doors. Hey, I don't think you're doing a good job. I think you're terrible at this. I made a horrible decision. You and Arizona, I'm going to leave either one. I mean, just have a tough have a tough talk. Don't just sit back in a passive-aggressive manner and, be, and let people see what you're going through. So uh, have a tough tough talk. You're good for life, you know. So anyway, Pastor. Amen. I think we're done. Yeah, All right, guys. I think so. If you need me, call me. Thank you. All right, bless y'all. 
We hope you enjoyed this session from the ARC Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations, and to register for an upcoming ARC Conference, visit artconference.com.